Okay, guys, I want to talk today a little bit about the viral clip. Maybe you saw it, you probably did, of Senator Ted Cruz. Um, a leftist clipped a, a an 18-second portion, uh, an 18-second video clip of Senator Ted Cruz saying that Obergefell, which is the Supreme Court ruling that legalized gay marriage, that that was wrongly decided by the Supreme Court. And this 18-second clip that was cherry-picked was actually clipped from an episode of The Cloakroom, which is a Verdict Plus series that I co-host with Senator Ted Cruz. So I want to talk today a little bit about the behind the scenes of what happened with this clip and how it went so internationally, wildly viral, that even the Congress, the House of Representatives took action on this. But before we get to that, before we get into any kind of serious business today, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about uh, the funniest video that I have seen in a really, really long time. Of course, I'm talking about the infamous AOC. She was protesting outside the Supreme Court, protesting in favor of abortion. So remember, the whole context of this is that she's angry because she can't kill babies as often as she wants. And she was arrested for protesting because she was obstructing traffic. And that's against the law, obviously. But when, when the police arrested her, this was not exactly like uh, a cops and robbers type of arrest. It was a police officer that was like, come on, man, move move out of the street. We got to let the cars by. You know this. And he very gently walked her to the side of the road. There was no handcuffs. There was no, uh, there was no, I don't know, television style arrest here. But of course, that did not suit AOC's interests. So watch this video. Watch what she does. Um, watch specifically the hands behind her back. It's kind of nuts. Okay, here she comes, walking. Look at her. She looks like she thinks she's on the runway. This is like this is like a slow motion catwalk. She's parading, hands behind the back, as if she is. Oh, wait a second. She's not handcuffed. Did you see that fist? Did you see that fist? She raises her fist up because her hands behind her back like that. She's not actually in handcuffs. So, what is she doing? What exactly are you doing, Congresswoman? Are you pretending? that you have handcuffs on? Are you walking as if you are cuffed behind your back when you're not? That is that is so weird. That is so hilarious to me to pretend that you've been handcuffed when you've been no such thing. The cop was very gently just saying, ma'am, come on, let's get to the side of the road. But AOC is not the only one that did this. Ilhan Omar, number, another member of the radical leftist squad in Congress, did the exact same thing. She pretended that she was in handcuffs. You can, you can watch her emerge in this video where she's, she's, you can't see her, you can't see her, and then all of a sudden, you can see her. And look at what she's doing. She's walking very slowly, walking very slowly, head down. Now she looks up, her hands are behind her back, no cop with her. And then she turns around and smiles, and then she lifts her fist too because she's not in handcuffs. <laughs> what kind of crazy nutcase acts like this? These women are not serious people. They are not serious legislators. They are showmen. They, they're so, this is so pathetic. I mean, I, I feel bad laughing actually because the reason that they're out there is because they don't care about the constitution of our country. They don't care about rule of law. They want and encourage and celebrate women destroying their unborn children in the womb, trading a soul created by God for financial gain. That's what they're doing out here. And to bring attention to their cause, because it's such an unpopular cause, nobody actually agrees with how radically left AOC is or how radically left Ilhan Omar is. They are staging this, this fake arrest. I mean, this is like Jussie Smollett level hilarious, like Bubba Wallace uh, level hilarious. Like I expect them to be like, but don't forget about the, the noose that was hanging in my garage. Uh, I mean the garage pole, and and don't forget that this was this was in mega country, this this out, outside the Supreme Court in downtown D.C. These women are 
absurd, absolutely ridiculous. And they're getting so much backlash, so much ridicule, as they should, that I fully expect AOC to issue some kind of statement, probably through Instagram Live, since that seems to be the venue she uses to talk directly to her following and to the country. I expect her to say, that's just how I walk. I wasn't pretending I was handcuffed. I just walk with my hands behind my back. <laughs> um, watch for it, wait for it, because that's going to be that's going to be her next her next line here. Absolutely absurd, and she should be mocked, just excruciatingly mocked for this kind of absurd showmanship behavior. Um, okay. Let's talk about the Ted Cruz video. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. Now, I like Bambi, and I think you will too, because small business owners, I have a question for you. Have you ever had an issue with employee attendance at work? Have you ever had an employee altercation happen in your workplace? The bad news is that one complaint against your company, valid or otherwise, can turn your world upside down. The good news is Bambi is here to help small business owners implement good HR practices. Bambi is an HR platform that's built for businesses just like yours. So you can automate the most important HR practices and you've got your own dedicated HR manager. First, Bambi's HR autopilot automates your core policies. We're talking like workplace training and employee feedback. Then your dedicated HR manager will help you navigate the more complex parts of HR and guide you to compliance. Now, these HR managers are available via phone, email, or real-time chat. As you know, an in-house HR manager can cost you up to $80,000 a year, approximately. But with Bambi, your dedicated HR manager starts at just $99 a month. There's no hidden fees. You can cancel anytime. You run your business let Bambi run your HR. Go to Bambi.com slash Liz right now for your free HR audit. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Liz. Bambi.com slash Liz. Okay, so let's talk about this video that went viral all over Twitter. It's actually it's actually had two viral um, two viral peaks, if you will. It's, it, it's shelf life is lasting a long time because originally... Um, Senator Cruz and I taped a, an episode of The Cloakroom. The Cloakroom is a series that we do on Verdict Plus, which is, it's it's Senator Cruz's locals community. Um, and we do we do a series just for VIPs over there called The Cloakroom. It's sort of a play on um, the Senate has a, a, ba- a backstage, if you will, or a back room called The Cloakroom. It was originally for, you know, as the name suggests, for senators to hang their cloaks in. But now it's just like where they have snacks, where they get together to kind of talk about things, where their staff briefs them before they go onto the floor of the Senate. And, you know, it, it, it has a lot of history. It's steeped in a lot of history. There's also a lot of negotiation and talking that happens between senators and staff members um, in the cloakroom. And so we named our series The Cloakroom because we want to give, um, on The Cloakroom, we want to give a deeper dive or a peek into the legalistic processes that go into governing our nation. Because so often politicians especially talk about just the headlines. They react to the headlines. They talk about policy. But our our legal structure in our country, um, and yes, it's just as nerdy as I'm explaining here, our our legal processes are there for a reason. And this is Senator Cruz's area of expertise. This is where I I enjoy picking his brain on all of the constitutional nitty gritty. That's what we do in the cloakroom. So last week we did an episode following the Supreme Court ruling on uh, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, which is obviously overturning Roe v. Wade. And we talked specifically about Clarence Thomas, because in Thomas's concurring opinion, he mentioned substantive due process. And substantive due process 
according to the Constitution, isn't a real thing. But a, but a lot of Supreme Court precedent is based on substantive due process. And that's what that's what Roe v. Wade was based on. And so what, what Thomas said in his concurring opinion is that the Supreme Court should revisit even longstanding precedent that relies on substantive due process because substantive due process, according to Thomas, is not a thing. The senator and I get into the nitty gritty on what substantive due process is. And I'm not going to reiterate all of that right now to, to hear that full breakdown. And I, I highly recommend that you do because it's really interesting. You can go to verdictwithtedcruz.com slash plus and you can um, watch it there. But one of the things that I was asking Senator Cruz, and this is what sparked the whole controversy, as I said, putting putting your politician shoes aside for a second, not looking at this issue from, from just a policy standpoint or a politics standpoint, if you're looking at some of these cases that Thomas mentioned because they rely on substantive due process, and the three cases that Thomas mentioned were Obergefell, which legalized gay marriage, and Lawrence, which prohibited states from, um, from outlawing homosexual sodomy, or gay sex, basically, and then Griswold v. Connecticut, which was the Supreme Court case that allowed uh, married couples to use birth control in our country. So very, very, very hot button cases um, steeped. I mean, this is this is the culture war, right? These are the social issues. These are the uncomfortable topics, the topics that even some conservatives don't want to talk about. And I said, putting your politician shoes aside for a second, if you were just a Supreme Court advocate, meaning an attorney before the Supreme Court arguing in a case that would um, that would cause the court to revisit the precedent set by either Obergefell, Lawrence, or Griswold. But specifically, I asked Cruz about Obergefell. What would be your argument against Obergefell? Like, what's the, the vulnerability of that case or what's the legal weakness of that case? So that's the question that I asked Cruz. And of course, when this video was, um, was a the way that it went viral, a leftist clipped 18 seconds of it and put that on Twitter, and it has millions and millions of views. And I, I, I don't mind when this happens. I'm totally fine with it. Um, I do think it's dishonest to cherry pick 18 seconds because you are deliberately depriving people of the context of the whole conversation, um, such as what I just explained to you, sort of this behind the scenes peek into what this episode of this series was, what I was asking him and why he was addressing this question the way that it was, um, what was the, through this hypothetical lens of just the legality of the issue, not the wisdom of the political policy. Um, but leftists don't want nuance. They don't want to, they don't want to have any of these intellectual discussions. They, I don't know, maybe they'd be bored with cloakroom. I find it to be um, an extremely interesting endeavor, <laughs> but you know, I'm part of it. So maybe I'm biased there. Anyway, so it was it was through this lens that Senator Cruz made the comment about being or about Obergefell being wrongly decided. And this, by the way, let me just show you the clip that went viral, the cherry picked 18 second clip. Uh, in Obergefell, the court said, no, we know better than you guys do. And now every state must uh, must sanction and, and permit gay marriage. Um, I think that decision was clearly wrong when it was decided. Um, it was the court overreaching. That's all. That's the 18 seconds. That's what the left caused to go viral. And like I said, uh, Senator Cruz and I trended on Twitter for two days based on that 18 second clip. And that, like I said, that's great. I don't mind it. I don't, I don't mind it because what he said, even cherry picked is not incorrect, but the full context of what he was saying was actually constitutionally and legally extremely, extremely pertinent to, to, really even AOC's and Ilhan Omar's fake arrest or fake handcuffing outside of, of the Supreme Court because Roe v. Wade relied on this substantive due process. And th this is just a little bit more of the context of, of what the senator said. If you were 
in this role as an advocate and Obergefell was in front of the Supreme Court again in some way, what would be the the vulnerability of this case? What would be the argument uh, against this case or the argument for overturning it? So look, Obergefell, like Roe versus Wade, ignored two centuries of our nation's history. Marriage was always an issue that was left to the states. Uh, we saw states before Obergefell that were moving. Some states were moving to allow gay marriage. Other states were uh, moving to allow uh, civil partnerships. There, there were different standards that the states were adopting. And had the court not ruled in Obergefell, the democratic process would have continued to operate, that if you believed gay marriage was a good idea, the way the Constitution set up for you to advance that position is to convince your fellow citizens. And if you succeeded in convincing your fellow citizens, then your state would change the laws to reflect those views. Uh, in Obergefell, the court said, no, we know better than you guys do, and now every state must, uh, m must sanction and, and permit gay marriage. Um, I think that decision was clearly wrong when it was decided. Um, it was the court overreaching. Whether the court will reverse it, I, I will say, so in Dobbs, what the Supreme Court said is Roe is different because it's the only one of the cases that involves the taking of a human life, and that's qualitatively different. I agree with that proposition. Uh, that is fundamentally different. I will say on Obergefell, there is also, when a court is considering whether to overturn a precedent, one of the factors you, that the court looks to is reliance interest. Have people relied on the previous precedent and have they acted accordingly? And in the context of marriage, look, you've got a ton of people who, who have entered into gay marriages. And it would be more than a little chaotic for the court to do something that somehow disrupted those marriages that have been entered into in accordance with the law. I think that would be a factor that would uh, would counsel restraint that would that, that that the court would be concerned about. But to be honest, I, I don't think this court has any appetite for overturning any of these decisions. So the 18 seconds, the original clip that went viral, as, as you can see, it's not incorrect. That is what he said. But the context is also really pertinent here. Nonetheless, nonetheless, this trended all over Twitter, headlines all over the world. This week um, on CNN, on, on several of their primetime shows, they talked about this. And this even elicited an act of Congress on gay marriage, which we're going to talk about in a second. But before we do that, I just I, I want to talk a little bit about why this has triggered the left so much, because this is actually not a, a controversial opinion. This is a legal analysis of whether a Supreme Court ruling is based on constitutional law, if it's based on if it's based on the precedent of, of the legal tradition in our country. And it's a philosophical discussion, actually. It's not even a discussion about uh, the wisdom of the policy. We can talk about the wisdom of the policy of, of the federal government mandating that states recognize same-sex marriages. And we will talk about that in a couple minutes on this show. Just hang with us. But that's not what this discussion was. So why exactly did this trigger the left in, in the way that it did? Now, I like Moinkbox because they're helping keep the U.S. independent from China. 60% of U.S. pork production comes from one company owned by the Chinese. Did you like my Trump impersonation? And their hogs are given something called ractopamine, which is banned in 160 countries. Fun fact, including China. Yet, you find it in your grocery aisle every day. Let me tell you, there is a better way. I'd like to tell you about Moink. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. 
Moink farmers farm like our grandparents did. And as a result, Moink meat tastes as it should because the family farm does it better. You choose the meat delivered in every box. You can choose from ribeyes to chicken breasts to pork chops to salmon fillets and so much more. Plus, if you want, you can cancel any time. I love Moink because they are committed to our country and I know you'll like it too. And my husband can attest to the fact that Moink meat tastes good. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash Liz right now. And if you do, you will get free filet mignon in every order for a year. That's one year of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste. It is for a limited time. This is spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash Liz. That's moinkbox.com slash Liz. Okay, so why did this trigger the left the way that it did? Since it was a philosophical legal discussion, it was not a political policy discussion. And the reason for that is because we, on the conservative right, I'm differentiating between the Republican Party and the conservative movement. On the conservative right, specifically people on the religious right, so the evangelical movement in our nation, were correct about gay marriage at at the time that this was a battle in our nation, whether it was at the state level before the Obergefell ruling in 2015. Those on the conservative right, particularly the religious right, warned that if government, and not just a government body, but if the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage by redefining the word marriage, which they have no authority to do, that that would be the beginning of a slippery slope in our country. Now, the word slippery slope oftentimes is used as an insult. It's used, in fact, it's a logical fallacy sometimes. And the left certainly made the most of that. They accused the right of engaging in a slippery slope fallacy. But it turns out that the right who warned that gay marriage would be a slippery slope were correct. The right warned that not only would it be a slippery slope if you allow government authorities to take something that exists, something that that has a definition because it simply is. It, it, it's an institution that is. In, this, in the case of marriage, it's an institution ordained by God. Whether or not you believe in God, it's an institution ordained by God. And if you allow government officials to take a word and erase the definition of that word and insert their own preferred definition and then force that on you, force you to accept that and acknowledge that and adhere to that and perhaps even celebrate it, then where does that end? That, that's the beginning of Marxism. If, if you destroy objective truth and it gives the government the authority to do everything, it destroys the idea of rule of law, it destroys morality, it destroys right and wrong, it destroys everything. The, the, only, the only result of destroying objective tr- truth is going to be tyranny and dictatorship. And the religious right, the conservative right, identified that about gay marriage because it wasn't just a matter of states on an individual basis deciding that they wanted to recognize same-sex unions or give some sort of special status to that contract between two consenting adults, which states would have absolute right to do. They could do that. States, People in those states would have to decide if that's a policy that they want or if they don't want. But that would be very, very different than the Supreme Court dictating that you and I redefine our definition of marriage, a definition of marriage that was not given to us by the government, a definition of marriage that was not given to the government by us, a definition that simply exists because the covenant was given to us by God. And conservatives were right about, about that. Conservatives were also right that that legalizing gay marriage or, or pretending that a union or a contract between two same-sex people 
um, defining that as marriage would lead to what we're facing right now, would lead to this, this transgender ideology being pushed on children in both in, in school settings, in corporate settings, and would lead to this, um, this degradation of sexual morals to the point that it would, it would put children, it would put minors at risk, that, that there would even be an attempt by the left, by these same lobbies to normalize, to normalize um, pedophilia or to normalize the sexualization of children. And the conservative right, particularly the religious right who made these warnings were, I mean, they were mocked, they were, they were demonized, they were, they were largely driven out of the, out of the Republican Party for making these, for making these predictions. And they turned out to be correct. These predictions were correct. And so there would be a different appetite in our nation now compared to 10 or 20 years ago when it comes to um, what happened at the Supreme Court when the Supreme Court redefined marriage um, to include same-sex couples. Um, there would be a different appetite because people now, especially especially people on the new right, now understand how dangerous it is when a government body tells us that we have to accept a definition of a word that is not the definition of the word. And what happens when we abandon, um, when we abandon centuries old traditions of morality that are based in, in yes, Judeo-Christian morals. Um, and, and that's why the left is reacting the way that they are. That's why it not only trended on Twitter, this video of Senator Cruz, um, why it, it's created headlines in, in the United States and across the world, why CNN has been obsessed with it, and why it elicited an act of Congress. Yes, an act of Congress. So the House of Representatives, in, in response to this clip, actually voted to codify gay marriage, meaning they say, well, we're going to legislate it just in case conservatives try to overturn this at the Supreme Court. And the House of Representatives is majority Democrat, right? It's led by Nancy Pelosi. It's filled with radical leftists. They have the majority in the House. And this easily, this easily it passed. I mean, you can, you can see the vote tally right here. Yays are 267 and the nays are 157. The bill is passed without objection, a motion. Okay, so 267 to 157. Now you might be thinking, okay, well, that's that's um, not quite as big of a majority as the Democrats have in the House of Representatives. What happened? Well, what happened is 47 Republican members of Congress voted in favor of gay marriage in the House of Representatives. 47 Republicans. And th these are the names. I want to read the names of, especially the, the names of some of the higher profile Republicans who voted in favor of gay marriage. There's Congresswoman Kelly Armstrong. There's Congressman Don Bacon, Cliff Benz, Ken Calvert, uh, Kat Kamek, Mike Carey, Liz Cheney, perhaps that one's no surprise, John Curtis of Utah, of Utah, come on, man, Rodney Davis, Mario Diaz-Ballert, Tom Emmer, Brian Fitzpatrick, Andrew Gar uh, Garbarino, Mike Garcia, Carlos Jimenez, Tony Gonzalez, Anthony Gonzalez, Ashley Hinson, Daryl Issa of California, there's a high-profile one, Chris Jacobs, David Joyce, 
John Katko, Adam Kinzinger, again, maybe he's not surprised, Nancy Mace, Nicole Maliotikas, and I always mispronounce her name, so my apologies, Congresswoman, <laughs> Brian Mass, Peter Meyer, Dan Moiser, Marionette Miller-Meeks, Blake Moore, Dan Newhouse, listen for your listen for your member of Congress, by the way, my friends, uh, listen very closely, Blake Moore, Dan Newhouse, Jay Obernolte, Burgess Owens, Scott Perry, Tom Rice, Maria Elvira Salazar, Mike Simpson, Elise Stefanik. Elise Stefanik, one of the most powerful Republicans in the entire House. Elise Stefanik voted in favor of this. Um, this actually doesn't surprise me because Elise Stefanik was also in favor of the Equality Act, which was which would force women's sports teams to allow transgender athletes, meaning biological men who identify as women to compete, would force schools to allow biological men who identify as women in the locker rooms and bathrooms. And Elise Stefanik was in favor of that. So this doesn't surprise me, although it is very disappointing. Brian Stile, Chris Stewart, Mike Turner, Fred Upton, David uh, Velado, Jefferson Van Drew, Ann Wagner, Michael Waltz, and Lee Zeldin. 47 Republicans. And this is my reaction to this. I love this. I'm glad these people put their names on the record. I am happy that you and I know where these Republicans stand. Because the reason that they voted, the reason the entire House of Representatives voted on this, um, it, it was virtue signaling. It's not going to make any difference because the Senate is not going to do the same thing. This was this was pure virtue signaling. And this is exactly what the House of Representatives should do. This is what I have been calling for both parties, leadership of both parties to do for a long time. I think every member of Congress at every opportunity on every issue should always be on the record so that you and I as their voters know exactly where they stand on every single issue. Because it's so easy in this day and age for legislators to be vague. They, they pass these bills that have language that we don't even know what it means. They defer it to the administrative state. The administrative state writes rules according to what the administrative state wants because the language from Congress was so vague. And that allows these members of Congress to get off scot-free to avoid ever actually taking a stance on hot button issues. And this is why this is why Pelosi and Schumer, by the way, don't want up and down votes on any of these big issues because they want to avoid accountability to their voter. So I actually love this. It tells us as conservatives which members of the House of Representatives are willing to fight the culture war. It tells us which members of the House of Representatives understand the danger of, of government forcing us to redefine a word that government didn't give us the definition for to begin with, that we didn't give government the definition of to begin with, that it's simply the definition of marriage simply existed. It's a covenant ordained by God. It's not something that can be changed by, by an act of Congress or by a judicial fiat. Yet these Republican members of Congress don't understand how dangerous it is to allow government to do that. So I'm glad they voted on this. They're wrong. They're completely wrong. But at least we know who's on our side during, during these culture wars. So let's now step away from the legalistic part of this and talk a little bit about the policy. This is the part that this is the part that most Republicans don't want to talk about. Let's talk about um, government recognizing marriage between a man and a woman and government recognizing marriage between two men or a, a union between two men, I should say, or a contract between two women and why, why the government does this in the first place. Let's talk about what Republicans used to talk about, which is uh, should the government recognize gay marriage and if not, why not? Now, if you haven't subscribed to my show yet, could you please go do that? Could you head over to Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button? And obviously, please leave me five stars and write me a little note. Let me know what your favorite 
part of the show is or what your favorite episode has been in the review section. I, I read those reviews. I do like to see them. A lot of you, by the way, when I ask for, um, when I ask you to go to YouTube the last time and subscribe said, I don't use YouTube. I use Rumble. Well, let me just tell you, I have a Rumble channel. We post everything on Rumble as well. So if you're not on YouTube, go over to Rumble, but make sure you subscribe to my channel. It's the Liz Wheeler Show channel on Rumble. If you are a YouTube viewer, please subscribe to my channel and hit that bell so you can get notified every time every time new content comes down. And I greatly appreciate it. Thank you guys for being part of this, this team. It is a team effort, making sure that our content is discoverable to people who need to hear the truth. Okay. So let's talk about the the awkward part of this conversation. Let's talk about not just the legalistic policy, not just the Supreme Court jurisprudence when it comes to Obergefell or substantive due process. Let's talk about um, why the government is involved in marriage at all. Because I think a lot of conservatives, even Christians, tend to feel very libertarian about this. I actually used to feel very libertarian about this. I thought, well, you know, it is my religious, I'm, I'm a practicing Catholic. I believe what the Catholic Church teaches, that marriage is between one man and one woman. Um, I also believe what the Catholic Church teaches, that every person is made in the image of God and has dignity, and I treat them with respect and love, regardless of the choices that they made uh, or are making. And I believe that, you know, we don't live in a theocracy. I believe that you know, any person has the right to um, be in a relationship with another consenting adult, regardless of their gender, and to choose to engage in sexual activity with that person and to live with them and to love them and to even even commit to them. I think that they have a right to do that, you know, regardless of what what my religious beliefs are about it. Um, but that is different than 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 marriage as ordained by God, than the covenant of marriage. and you can't you can't redefine that. Um, so my view, my view politically stemming from both my religious views and my views about how our liberty is ordered in our country was very libertarian that, well, I'd, I, I used to think I'd rather not have government even recognize marriage between one man and one woman versus redefining marriage to include um, to include contracts or relationships that that don't fit the definition of marriage. I thought, why why is government involved in the business of marriage at all? Why don't people just do this on on a private basis? And I realized that government has an active interest in um, in supporting and encouraging and incentivizing marriage between one man and one woman. And the reason for that is because our governmental structure. Um, the way that we are built in this in this federalist way, we are built on individual rights. We are built on a capitalist society that relies on the cultural institutions that we talk about all the time: the nuclear family and and marriage and relationships. Um, our governmental structure cannot exist without the civil institutions being really strong. And the reason for that is because when the civil institutions are weakened or when they're abolished, those people that were supported by the civil institutions, like, like the nuclear family, whether it's children and parents or whether it's spouses in marriage, um, those people are then rendered dependent on the government. And our government is not built, the structure of our government is not built to support a massive welfare state. We're not built to um, we're not built for a government to be big daddy government taking care of of all the little all the little children. We're built for the government to stay out of the way and for people to take care of themselves. And the the primary, the absolute primary reason that government at the federal level does have an interest, uh, a very compelling interest in incentivizing and encouraging marriage between one man and one woman is children. 
Now, I like Be More Organics because it does the trick when it comes to sleepless nights. Um, did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain? It can cause mood issues. It can cause poor mental health and lower productivity. And that if you sleep less than six or seven hours a night, it can be linked to reduced white blood cell count. Now, white blood cells are necessary to protect our body against illness and diseases. They fight viruses, bacteria, and more. And not many people realize this, but having a consistent nighttime routine is so important to your body's health. Well, let me tell you, a better tomorrow starts tonight. Introducing to you Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep to recovery. And today you get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product. It's called Dream Powder. It's their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. It contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients. It's triple lab tested, no THC, and you wake up refreshed. 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. All you do, you just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir it up, and enjoy 30 minutes before bed. And if you don't love it, you can get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, get $20 off when you go to beamorganics.com slash Liz and use my promo code Liz at checkout. Okay, so the primary reason that government has an interest, a compelling interest in recognizing a relationship between man and woman, recognizing marriage as God ordained it and, and no other permutation of contractual relationship, regardless of what is accepted culturally or not, is because man and woman are the procreators of children. Children are necessary for the country. Um, children are necessary for the country to continue to live, for the next generation to, to take on the mantle of, of everything that we believe, our governmental structure, and to govern our country. They're necessary for our, our nation to be perpetuated in, in, into history. Um, and without a nuclear family, without a married mom and dad, our governmental structure is not possible. The way that we are a self-governing nation where we rely on individual rights and we are not a welfare state can't happen if children are, are well, not produced for one thing, but if they are not taken care of by a married mom and dad. And you can look at some of the statistics here when you can look at some of the statistics of, um, of what happens to children when they're raised by their biological mom and dad married versus when they are raised by uh, a single parent or a divorced parent or a parent um, with a step parent, a non-biologically related parent. And, and I wanna read some of these, what, some of these statistics because they, they show exactly how important marriage is to our governmental structure. So 64% of children live in homes with two parents who are married, 64%. Six out of 10 children. That means four out of 10 children do not. This is an all-time low in our country. You can compare this to 1960 when 88% of children lived with married parents. There has been a very big shift in our country away from kids being raised by their mom and dad. But kids that are raised by a married mom and dad are less likely to experience academic problems, social problems, emotional problems, and cognitive problems. Not just when they're kids, but also as they grow up into adults. Adults that have have are, are, are facing either being dependent on themselves, being independent, or being dependent on the government. And if you are raised by a married mom and dad, for males, you are more likely to earn more money. And for women, you are less likely to be dependent on welfare. Each of these is a particular study done on the outcome of children based on, on their family structure, whether their family was intact or not. For kids that grew, grew up with a married mom and dad, it reduces the number of teenage pregnancies and births, out of wedlock births. It increases high school graduation rate. It increases college graduation rate. And the children who are raised with a married mom and dad have a higher rate of employment as adults. 
um, children that came from parents, mom and dad who were married, had higher scores on verbal reasoning, even as little children compared to children who came from broken families. And, um, and the health the health of children, the health of children as well, not just not just the social and behavioral health, but the physical health of children is impacted by whether they have a married mom and dad. Children who live with both of their biological parents married ha- are 20 to 35% more physically healthy than children from broken homes. So you can see how, how just these, these baseline statistics would make a huge difference in how our government relates to our citizenry, what our citizenry relies on the government for versus what they rely on the nuclear family structure um, in for. Now, this is an interesting one. In homes with stepfathers, children were more likely to have been suspended from school or faced being expelled from school. They were more likely to have behaved in uh, a delinquent way, to have problems getting along with teachers, getting their homework finished on time and competently, paying attention in school, and they have a lower grade point average than those living with a married mom and dad that are their biological parents. So even if even if it is a, a two-parent household, if one of the parents is not biologically related to that child, that child still suffers from very serious behavioral and social um, um, problems. Now, the biggest argument of all, this is all for the child's welfare, right? But the biggest argument of all is that children who are raised in a, in a family where the mom and dad are married and the mom and dad are the biological parents of the child, a child has an 82% less likelihood of living in poverty. 82% less likely to live in poverty. This is a significant bulwark. The institution of marriage is a significant bulwark against child poverty. In fact, it might be the single policy, political, social, or cultural, that protects children from poverty, which is of twofold benefit, obviously. It protects the children from suffering poverty, but it also protects the governmental structures from being bowed and bent and eventually broken under the weight of caring for children who are dependent on the government instead of their family for their well-being, for their health care and their education and their food and their and everything. Our country, with the governmental structure that we have, limited government, enumerated rights, individual freedoms, a capitalist, a capitalistic free market economy, we cannot survive unless the cultural institution of the family remains intact unless it is not only celebrated and encouraged, but actually incentivized by the government. That is the government's interest in being involved in in marriage. That is government's incentive in not only recognizing marriage between one man and one woman, but making sure that the definition of marriage is not changed that it is not degraded, that it is not that it, it does not evolve to match whatever happens to be the trendy cultural pressure of the time. And that this is not this is not to say that there should not be equality under the law for gay people. Of course there should. It's not saying that there should be any kind of persecution or prosecution for people who experience same-sex attraction or people who engage in same-sex relationships. They should be free 
to engage in, in that if they want. But the government, the federal government cannot redefine marriage without significantly harming the nuclear family. And the nuclear family is critical to the longevity and the health of our republic. Now, perhaps this is why the radical left is so triggered by the conversation that I had with Senator Cruz, where he said, well, listen, Obergefell was wrongly decided from a legal standpoint, putting, putting the wisdom of the policy aside. I mean, these are my words, not Senator Cruz's. We didn't talk about the wisdom of gay marriage as a political policy at all. But they're so, the left is so triggered by that because they understand that their assault on men, their war on women, their, their gender-bending ideology, their transgender indoctrination of children, that this is critical to, well, harming the longevity of our country, to tearing down our governmental institutions. I mean, this is, this is a, a Herbert Marcuse-type strategy to attack the civil institutions first, because without the civil institutions, the government institutions crumble. And the ultimate goal of these radical leftists is to tear down the governmental institutions. They don't like freedom. They don't like liberty. They don't like the First Amendment or, or the Second Amendment. They don't like the rule of law. They want Marxism. They want technocracy as a road to Marxism. They want dictatorship. They want their radical leftist ideology shoved down your throat. They want you to be made to care. They want you to be forced to embrace this ideology. And the nuclear family stands in their way. The nuclear family starts with a married man and woman, a mom and a dad, procreating children, loving those children, caring for those children, raising those children so that those children are not dependent on a government that does not have the capacity to take care of them. This is a conversation that the radical left doesn't, ha, has scared many conservatives away from having because conservatives and the Republican Party, and by the way, we see exactly why conservatives lost this because the Republican Party is full of at least 47 members in the House of Representatives alone who not only don't recognize this big picture, um, they, they, actually, they actually fall for the, the leftist narrative that if you don't legally think that the Supreme Court has a right to redefine marriage, that you are somehow homophobic. That's not true. That's not true at all. That's like, that's, that's the same thing as the left telling us that if we don't want our kindergartners being told that they can be a boy if they want or a girl if they want, that, that you know, their, their biology means nothing. It's all how they feel. That if we don't want that, that we're transphobic. You and I know that's absurd. We know we're not transphobic when, when we don't want our children um, indoctrinated in destructive transgender ideology that will lead them to taking hormones and mutilating their beautifully formed bodies. That's the same kind of talking point that the left has given us on gay marriage, that we can't even talk about the legality um, or, or, or the substantive due process on which Obergefell was built, because that means that we hate gay people and we're homophobic. Again, it does not. That's false. That's a lie. And the Republican Party lost this fight. We, did, we didn't fight it correctly. The Republican Party caved on this fight. They surrendered this fight. And now here we are. And so when the left hears a conversation about even the legalistic part of the Supreme Court ruling on Obergefell, a very uh, an obscure jurisprudence, if you will, substantive due process, their heads explode. They can't handle it because they don't want us to be having this conversation. But we have to because we have to protect the civil institutions in our country if we want to protect the governmental institutions. That's all there is to it. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.
The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figueroa. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.